0: Well, good morning. Yeah, man, it's so good to see you guys this morning. It's really cold out, and yet you're here. This is fantastic. I don't know about you, but I've not been enjoying the cold lately. It's just it's like, oh, man, I feel so cold. I almost like, grabbed my coat and was like, I think I'm just going to preach in my jacket today um, because it's just where I've been this whole week is like unable to get warm. Good morning to you guys as well at our Fort Lupton campus and our Thornton campus. And if you're watching online later, hello, hello, and good morning. Man, it's good to be together. Uh, My name is Tim. I get to be one of our preaching pastors here at Crossroads Church, and I'm also our technical director, which means I get to lead our teams at all three campuses with regards to our audio and video and lighting technology. And here's our goal. Our goal is to lift up Jesus without distraction so that he can be seen, because we believe that when Jesus is seen, people are saved. And it's really just that simple. And so I want to invite you, uh, if you feel like you would like to be a part of a team that's goal is just lifting up Jesus and helping him to be seen, I always have room on my team. I love my team. I've got incredible people on my team at all three campuses that serve every single weekend. And sometimes I'm just stunned when I think about the reality that, man, if they didn't show up, (laughs) we would do, like, it it would be really bad. You would have pastors running tech stuff, and nobody wants that. Like, let's just be honest, right? We want the tech people, the people who are gifted at that stuff. So, man, I would love to invite you to be a part of that team with me and with like the 20 something people that serve every single weekend or over the course of like a month. I think there's about 20 of us right now uh, that are helping to make this stuff happen. And so, that's my little pitch be a part of my team. I get to pray for you every single day and just draw you as close as I can as we serve each other and lift up Christ that he might be seen. And people might be saved. Well, we are in week two of our second season going through the gospel of Luke. And I'm really happy that we're back in it again because I just love this book. I love God's word and I especially love the gospels where we get to just walk slowly and encounter Jesus and see who this man was and still is and what he was about. And in the second section of Luke, that's where we really get to see Jesus' mission come to life. Last week, Pastor Matt specifically started us off in that passage where Jesus is in the synagogue and he's opening the scroll of Isaiah and he's reading it, right? And I want to go there first today so that we can be reminded of what his mission is. Because he states his mission really clearly right here. It says it in chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the mission of Jesus. And we get to see now in these chapters, not just today but in the weeks and months to come, what That looks like and as I've been preparing for preaching this weekend specifically over and over I've been thinking about it and then all of a sudden I'll just kind of well up with tears in my eyes because it's like wow some of these moments are just poignant to have God as man walking among us and to see what he spends his time doing and to see who he's really focused on in those environments and so as I've thought again and again, like, what do, how do we spend this time together in this section? Because it's a really long section of scripture. I, I felt really led to just say, you know what, I, I really love God's word. And I just kind of today, I want to let God's word do a lot of the speaking for itself. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray in just a moment and then I'm just going to read this entire lengthy section. We're not going to have the words on the screen or anything like that uh, because I just want you to have some space, some time to focus as best you can on imagining what those different scenes would have looked like. To let the reality that this God man walked among us and, and to let those pictures just fill out in your mind. And my hope and prayer is that God will use it to move our hearts together towards Christ. To take a hold of him in, in more real, more fresh, more today kind of ways. This is my goal for us. So, I'm going to pray and then we will jump right into it, uh, into this beautiful text. So, Father, I ask now at all of our locations that you would be present with us. I pray that your peace would rest in these places. I pray that you would free us from distractions, from all the things that we have yet to accomplish this weekend that we haven't gotten to yet, Lord. Will you set those things aside? Will you help these next little few pieces of time? Will you help this time to be useful, to move our hearts towards you? Will you soften our hearts where we might be a little hard or crusted over? Will you soften us in order that we might truly feel rightly about what we see? As we watch your beautiful son interact with us. Oh, thank you for your word. We offer this rest of this time to you now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 and 5. We're going to start in chapter 4 verse 31. Sorry. If you have a coffee, this is the time to take a hold of it with both hands and snuggle it nice and close so that you get all warm and cozy. And we'll begin. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf and he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but Finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God and amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying we have seen extraordinary things today after this he went out and a tax collect and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and leaving everything he rose And followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners repentance this is a beautiful section of scripture and what we'll find in the weeks to come that every single section is beautiful in a very similar fashion that we see Jesus himself walking in the midst of normal people doing things that are so far beyond anyone's capacity that it just stood out and everyone's like wow who is this man and as we look at this section I really want to draw our attention to three different groups of people, because I think that for most of us here, that we could probably relate most closely to one of these groups. The three different groups of these, you've got the poor, and then you've got the disciples, and then you've got the Pharisees. And so as we look at each of these, I'll ask you to be kind of internally processing which group do you feel like you closely associate with that, that feels like, you know, you in a sense? Like where, which, which group would you probably find yourself in if you were there at that time? Because I think this is going to be significant for us as it affects our, how we approach Jesus. So, we'll start off by just looking at the poor, the first group. This is a huge group of people. I mean, even in these short verses, you see like these, these uh, environments where just tons of people are getting together. And they're coming to him because they need something desperately from him. They, they come to him without anything. <laughs> you know, and, and, and Jesus is there, and he can actually give them what they need. You see, people come who are possessed by demons. And the demons get cast out. You see people who are is sick with either fever or they're paralyzed or all these other infirmities and they're being healed. This is the group of people that Jesus came to serve, to seek, to save, right? This is the group he identifies in that passage that he read from Isaiah, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? What's it say? Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then he identifies in that passage who he means by the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. And so here in this section we see Jesus finding those people and proclaiming good news to them. It's in this section that we encounter stories like the one with the man Filled with leprosy. Now, leprosy wasn't just a matter of this skin disease that was really uncomfortable, right? It was lethal. And even more than that, it would separate you socially and spiritually from the whole rest of the people of God. Because of this leprosy that was in you, you would not be able to approach God. You would be ceremonially unclean and just cut off, unless by some crazy miracle, God, remove this leprosy from you. In which case, there was a way for you to come back in, which is what Jesus was referring to. Go and offer to the priest a sacrifice, right? Like, like this is it. And this is this beautiful scene where this man comes and he sees Jesus and it's like, what has he got to lose? <laughs> right? Well, what could possibly, what's the worst thing that could happen? Jesus would say, nope, and he would just continue on in his current state. So he, having nothing to lose, just comes before Jesus and falls on his face. And I love what he says. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Like, if you so desire, you can remove this from me. He's stating that he's recognizing who Jesus really is. That he's Lord. That he's God. He has this power in him. And so he pleads with him. Oh, in Jesus' response... This is one of my favorite things that Jesus says to anybody. He just looks at him and says, I will be clean. Ah, oh, but he doesn't just look at him, right? Here's this man who's got leprosy, this thing that if anyone came in contact with them, they would then also become ceremonially unclean. They'd have to go through this season of washing and waitings before they could go enter back into the temple practices of worship. But Jesus is different than the rest. That Jesus reaches out and touches him. I mean, when's the last time that guy probably got touched by another human? And Jesus touches him and says, I will be clean. And Because Jesus is who he is, when he comes in contact with uncleanness, he doesn't contract it. Instead, his purity ends up overpowering it and transfers over to this person. And sure enough, boom, he is cured from leprosy and he goes away glorifying God. It's in this group of people that we see the interaction with the paralyzed man, with the crazy friends. (laughs) Right, like anybody here got a friend who's like, hey man, yeah, let's take apart the roof. I don't know that I have friends that are like, crazy like that but I'm really thankful that this guy did because otherwise would we've even heard about this man and their incredible faith but they knowing that Jesus is who he has said he is that he's the messianic king he's coming to restore to set free captives and oppressed and to cure the blind like he's coming to serve the poor and they're looking at their friend they're like well you're poor so let's let's get you to Jesus any way we can and they they go there they can't get inside so they climb up on the roof Tear it apart. I mean, they surely like this is a fun story for them to tell others as they're like putting the roof back together later. I hope that that's what happened. <laughs> I hope they didn't just like leave it. And the dude's like, "Well, what? How? When did that happen? Like, oh yeah, a guy got dropped down from there. Like, we know what." And so they, they go up there. They take apart the roof. They drop the man in front of Jesus. And what was Jesus' interaction with him? This has always been curious to me. The first thing that Jesus says to him is, "Man." Your sins are forgiven you. And I got to think that the friends were like up on the roof looking down going, "Uh, hey Jesus, we're sort of hoping that you'd cure him. You know, from being paralyzed? Like that was the point. That's why we came." But Jesus wasn't just concerned with the outer physical problems that everybody had right? He was concerned with that, absolutely. He healed so many people, but he wasn't only concerned with that. And when he saw this man, he quickly recognized, like, being paralyzed is not the worst thing that could happen to this person. Going through life, unforgiven, right? That's the worst thing that could happen to this person. And so he starts there where it matters most, by forgiving his sins. And then, of course, the Pharisees have their issues with it, And he said, just to prove a point, like, no, 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 I really am. You're right. Like, who else can forgive sins but God? Oh, by the way, that's me. (laughs) You want me to prove it? Cool. We'll just heal him as well. Because, like, who could do that but God, right? Because that's crazy. So rise up and uh, take your bed and go home. And he does. And they're just like, oh, my goodness. What in the world is going on here? This is astounding. It's this group of people that Jesus came to serve to save that truly the good news of the kingdom of God is for the poor. Now that can be a little discouraging for some of us because in Denver area, Colorado, like I don't know if a whole lot of us in our environments would consider ourselves to be poor. We might at some times throw a little pity parties for ourselves or we might kinda look at some of our temporary circumstances and go, oh man, I don't know how I'm gonna figure this out, right? But probably not many of us would fall into this category. I know that there are absolutely some here who do, but many of us wouldn't. And this can be a little discouraging because we see later in in Luke chapter 6 that Jesus explicitly states this in his uh, Beatitudes. In verse 20 of chapter 6 it says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God is for the poor, those who have empty hands. Because when they are given the offer to take a hold of Christ, they're like, What have I got to lose? Are you kidding me? I got nothing. So to have you, yes, I will take a hold of you, Jesus. I love that group that we get to interact with in this and in the following sections. Now, the second group of people that we see in this section are the disciples. Specifically, we have two different groups of them. We've got uh, Simon and James and John. and Simon's sometimes Peter. I mean, it's just one of those confusing people with multiple names. Um, right? Yeah, it's just what it is. Uh, but you've got Simon and James and John the fisherman. And they have this really crazy interaction where the moment that it clicks for them that this really is the God-man, the messianic king, is when they're, they've been out fishing and they, they've been failing at it. And, and they, you know, come in, and they're, they're cleaned up, and they're done for the day. And then Jesus, of course, is like, hey, you guys should go back out. And he's like, oh, Jesus, you are a great speaker, and you're even a really good healer. But, like, come on, we're the fishermen. <laughs> like, leave the catching of the fish to us. But we've seen you do some incredible things, so sure, if you say to go out, we'll go out. And they throw the nets, and they catch literally so many fish that they almost sink two boats. that They're looking at this catch going, this is like nothing we've ever seen before. Who in the world could cause something like this to happen but God himself? And Simon looks at Jesus and falls on his knees and says, you should probably leave me because I'm I'm not a righteous person. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be with you. But Jesus like glosses right over that. He doesn't say, well, you're right. Later. (laughs) Instead he just says, Ah, you know, come and follow me. Don't worry. You're actually going to be a fisher of people now. Not just the fish, right? But you're going to be catching people. And it says that they left everything and followed Jesus. We have that similar phrase used with Levi, the tax collector. This person is on the outside of the Jewish culture because he's basically exploiting them for his own financial gain. And when Jesus sees him, he encounters him and just says, Follow me. And Levi looks at him and goes, okay, and leaves everything to follow him. The beautiful thing about these disciples is that they really join that category of the poor voluntarily. Right? They had capacity. They had means. They had ability. They could go and catch fish and eat those fish and sell those fish. Do whatever other things you need to do with fish to to get by, to make a living, right? The tax collector had plenty of money, but they looked at the stuff that was in their hands, and they said, huh, I could trade this for you. Deal. (laughs) Absolutely. Without a doubt, I will do that. I mean, this reminds me of the parables we read about in Matthew chapter 13. There's two of them. The first one says that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. Or a man finds it and goes away and sells everything he has to buy that field so that he can have that treasure. And then the parable right after that says the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of a costly pearl. And upon finding it, he goes and sells everything he has to purchase that pearl. This is what makes a disciple a disciple is that they look at everything that's in their hands, all of their capacity, all of their ability, all of their wealth, all of their status, any of it, and they just leave it behind. They say, if I can leverage this and say, nope, nope, don't want this, I'd rather have you, than I will take a hold of you, Jesus. And I know that within our church, we have a lot of those kind of people too. Some of you come to mind, your faces, where I watch your acts of faith, and it's so clear, like, wow, you, you could really do a whole lot of stuff in life, amazing people, and you have intentionally said, man, but I'd rather just have Jesus. Like, I'd rather just leverage whatever I have to have him and to help others to have him as well. Oh, man, my prayer daily is that for me, like, man, help me please to be a disciple. Help me not to get caught up with the stuff that's already in my hands and to think that this is so great and so amazing, that I'm so great and so amazing. Help me instead to set it down, to leave everything daily and to follow you, Jesus. Because then we got that third group, the Pharisees, right? You got the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers. These are the spiritually elite. They're the ones who've been trained in the, in the ways of the law, of God's law. They've actually been trained and entrusted to guard it and to teach it. And they've kind of they've said, well, man, we don't want people breaking this law, so we're gonna put up all kinds of other rules around the outside of it. So like if they don't break these rules, then how could they possibly break God's law? And in the process, gain for themselves quite a bit of wealth, quite a bit of influence, respect within their communities, power. And it's like when they encounter Jesus, you can sense this struggle. For them to put down what's in their hands. Specifically, for them, it's this self righteousness, this sense of, like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't actually need a Savior like you. I follow the law. Thank you very kindly. And as a result, they miss out on the healing that Jesus has for the poor, on this incredibly good news. And if I'm real honest with myself, I find that I most often relate to that group of the three. That I have a tendency in my life to look at my own righteousness, my own goodness, and elevate it. To say, oh man, I'm I'm actually doing pretty good. I had an experience of this really distinctly when I was managing Jimmy John's before I was a pastor here at Crossroads Church. I was up at the Loveland location and it's nice and slow in the morning. And so I, in the morning before anyone else would get there, I would listen to sermons in my ear, earbuds or whatever they were. And, and uh, I just love listening to sermons. And so one sermon, specifically that the preacher said, man, one thing that you can do is ask God to shine a light on your heart to reveal if there's any unclean thing inside of you so that you can confess that and bring that to God, so that he can deal with that, so he can move you along in the sanctification experience. And so I thought, man, this is that's a really good idea. I ought to do that. And so I said, God, will you please show me any you know, shine the light of your glory on my heart, of your holiness on my heart, and show me if there is any unclean way in me. And what I was thinking in my head was this is going to be pretty good. See, God's going to shine his light on my heart, and the two of us are going to get to see like I'm I'm coming along. Like, I'm growing. I'm like loving people pretty well. Like, I've been good in my devotions. And I've got all these own metrics that I'm using in my mind, right, for, like, my holiness. Like, he's going to see it, and I'm going to be there with him and be like, yep, yep, you're right, God. you doing pretty good. You guys are laughing, and I think that that's for a reason. <laughs> I don't know if you've been there, but what happened to me was, like, really painful. Because it was like, God, very kindly... Yet relentlessly answered that prayer. Over the course of that day, he would like stop these little moments in time and say, oh, oh, oh. Hey Tim, real quick, did you see how you talked to that employee right there? Did you notice that you were basically embellishing everything to make yourself look way better than you are? Yeah, that's lying. Just wanted you to know. All right, resume, you know, and I'm like, okay, that was uncomfortable, and then I'm making a sandwich, you know, for some customer that came in, and then he would, like, stop time again, and he would say, hey, Tim, I don't know if you realize this, but that look that you just, like, lingered on with that young gal that walked in, that was definitely not very holy. In fact, we could probably call that lust, okay? Okay, cool. Just want to make sure you saw that. Resume. Resume. And so like all day long, I'm just sort of having these moments where I'm kind of tripping. Because I'm like, oh, okay, God, yep, okay, I hear you. By the time I got done with that shift, emotionally, I'm just crawling back out to my car. And I'm like, okay, God, I relent. I give up. You're right. And God was like, yeah, I know I am. But I don't know that you definitely know this yet. So for like two to three more days, he just continued to answer this prayer in my life. To where by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, okay, 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 okay. Let's start over. I'm sorry. I don't know why I thought that I've got all of this stuff in my hands that's worth something. But I'm sorry. Would you help me to set it down again? Would you help me? Because I really desperately need you. Like if you don't actually bring about holiness in my life, it's not going to happen. I'm not capable of that. If you don't forgive me, I won't possibly be forgiven. That's just not something I can get without you, God. Will you please, will you please, will you please do this in my life? So when I read through these stories and I encounter the Pharisees, my heart just kind of hurts because I'm like, oh God, I'm so often there and I don't even realize it. And I bet within our church that there's probably a lot of us that could also relate to this group of people. I don't know if you're holding on to self-righteousness as like the thing. Maybe you're holding on to your influence or your power. Maybe you're holding on to your wealth, your ability to control situations around you or your own like capacity and ability in life. But I want to encourage you this weekend to begin the process of evaluating what it is that you're holding on to. Because you can either hold on to other stuff or you can hold on to Jesus. But it doesn't look from here like you can hold on to both. And it looks to me like the people who are holding on to the things of this world miss out on all of this power and life and peace and forgiveness ...that comes when we get to meet with the real Jesus. And I don't want to miss out. And I don't want any of us to miss out on that. So I want to invite you this week to begin the process of evaluating... ...what are you holding on to? And then as you identify stuff, to ask God to help you to set it down. To be like the disciples. To leave everything in order to take a hold of Jesus. I know that some of you probably, <clears throat> maybe this is like the first time that someone has invited you to do this. Maybe you're, you're like in our church and you don't really know how you got here or you've been around for a little while just kind of trying to see what this thing is about. And maybe recently you've realized like, wow, I really do want to take a hold of Jesus. And maybe even today you've realized, wow, I'm holding on to all kinds of stuff. I would invite you today to set it down, to take a hold of Jesus, to turn to him in faith. It's really simple, but it's really not easy. (laughs) Because it means sacrificing everything. It means identifying Jesus as Lord of your life. Saying, I'm gonna submit myself to you. I'm gonna let you lead and I'm gonna follow you. It means sacrificing your self-righteousness and saying, I don't have what it takes to be holy on my own, but I want that. And so Jesus, my hands are empty so that I can take a hold of you It means trusting Jesus when he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It means trusting that he really did die on the cross in order to access forgiveness for our sins. And that he really did rise again from the dead, inviting us into that resurrected life forever. It means identifying him as the treasure more valuable than any other treasure we could possess. And saying, whatever it takes, I will give it all up if that means I get to hold on to him. I'd invite you to do that. I'm going to pray in just a moment for everybody. And so, like, if that's you, will you take that moment and just say, yes, Lord, Jesus, I'm going to follow you now. I'm going to let my hands become empty hands. I'm going to join that category of the poor by not considering that I have anything worth anything. That I might take a hold of you and gain everything that comes with you. And then for those of you who, like me, have been following Jesus for a long, long, long time. But maybe you recognize, like, wow, there's some stuff in your hands. Like, you didn't even realize you've been picking it up as you go. (laughs) Like, I'm like 30 years into my following Jesus, and all of a sudden my hands are full of all this other stuff. Like, what the heck? Like, I don't want this, Jesus. I want you. I would invite you as well to revisit that. And to say, okay, Jesus, help me again. Please forgive me again. Help me to understand what it is that I'm holding on to, that I might set it down, that I might have you. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that you've made yourself available for us. That we don't have to be satisfied by all of the really lame things that this world says are worth chasing, pursuing, and possessing. Father, thank you that you've made a way for us to take hold of that which is truly life. Namely, your son, Jesus. And this incredible experience of being filled with your spirit and walking in your footsteps with you every single day as our Lord. Father, I pray for those who are turning their hearts to you for the first time. That you would now speak to them. That you would confirm for them your presence, your reality, your power, would you let them feel forgiven? Not just to know or acknowledge in their head, would you let them feel forgiven even right now? Lord, and would you fill them with your spirit and pull them into a group that follows you, Lord, that they might have friends around that, that understand what it looks like to follow you every single day, to let you be Lord? Oh, Father, and I pray for those of us who have followed you a long time and yet still find our hands are so often full. Father, will you give us more grace? Like the man with leprosy, Lord, we want to come and say, if you will, you can remove this this weird, wicked desire I still have. And we trust, Lord, that your response is that you will and that we can be clean, that we can be forgiven, we can be released, we can be free. Father, will you please bring this about for us today? We ask it in the name of your powerful and beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim.